0: From APM American Public Media, this is the American Radio Works podcast. I'm Stephen Smith. When Nancy Atwell was growing up, she never thought she'd go to college, let alone become an award-winning teacher. But a few months ago, Atwell received a million-dollar global prize for her decades of teaching English and literacy skills to elementary and middle schoolers. She didn't keep the money for herself. Instead, she donated it to the school that she runs, called the Center for Teaching and Learning in Edgecombe, Maine. During media appearances after winning the award, Atwell caused a bit of controversy when a CNN host asked her what advice she would give to young people who are interested in going into teaching.
1: Honestly, right now I encourage them to look in the private sector. Why? Mm. Because public school teachers are so constrained right now. Um, by the Common Core standards and the tests that are developed to um, uh, monitor what teachers are doing with them. It's a movement that's turned teachers into technicians, not, you know, uh, reflective practitioners. And if you're a creative, smart, young person, I don't think this is the time to go into teaching unless an independent school would suit you.
0: That was Nancy Atwell speaking on CNN, and she joins me this week on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. So you founded the Center for Teaching and Learning in Maine. What do you do there?
1: Uh, the Center for Teaching and Learning is a demonstration school. It's a place where the faculty and I teach children and teachers at the same time. So we've got a student body of about 80 children in grades K to 8, a really nice mix of kids in terms of abilities and socioeconomic background, so that they're representative of children at least of the Mid Coast Maine area. And then we invite teachers to come in, classroom teachers, for a week at a time. They apply, um, they pay, that helps support our tuition assistance, and they um, observe us for a week at a time, and then they go back and try to adopt our methods in their classrooms. And it's been a very effective model. I've I've written lots of books for teachers. Um, my big one is, is called In the Middle, and it's sold maybe half a million copies. It's essentially a set of blueprints for uh, the way I teach, which is a writing-reading workshop. And it's very helpful, I know, to teachers because it's so nitty-gritty, but it's not the same as coming in and living in a writing-reading workshop for a week. So the demonstration school is an opportunity for teachers to live in the classrooms of great literacy teachers and then take those methods home and, and transform their own students' lives. So we've worked with hundreds of educators from around the country, almost every state, and then also um, around the world. They've come uh, to spend a week in Edgecombe, Maine, where where CTL is located. It's very satisfying work, um, again, because it's so hands-on.
0: Let's talk more about that. How is your school different from uh, traditional public schools where you've taught?
1: I would say that we've met virtually every condition that a public school has to meet. You know, in terms of satisfying uh, uh, the bureaucracy, the fire marshal, um, insurance, all of the things that a school has to do to be um, safe and official. But the teachers have permission to innovate, Um, it's part of the mission of the school. So no one is closing his or her door and experimenting with methods or trying out new ways of approaching subject areas and hiding that because outside of that door there's a district mandate that says you must teach this program. You know, it's the mission of teachers to develop methods at CTL and then send out the ones that are successful into the world to impact other teachers.
0: And yours is a private school?
1: It's an independent nonprofit, so we, um, you know, we're certified. But we're not under the aegis of the state of Maine.
0: Is there a parallel research activity that goes with these innovations so that you have hard data to back up what works and what doesn't?
1: You know, the, the research model that we're working with is more qualitative and quantitative In other words, we've got a tremendous amount of record-keeping of observations of what happens to children over time. The research model essentially is built into the way we teach because of the way we monitor children's progress. So our numbers in the end end up being different. For example, um, our 7th and 8th graders read an average of 40 books a year. They produce an average of at least 20 pieces of publishable writing. Ninety-eight percent of our students go to colleges, and the schools end up being places like um, Harvard and Stanford and Dartmouth. And um, just had a former student accepted at Middlebury last week. So the, the proof of the pudding is actually in the, the students' progress and their products.
0: You focus a lot on reading for pleasure.
1: Isn't that shocking in America?
0: <laughs> <laughs> How do you? Well, and I was just thinking, my son who's in high school uh, has not read an entire book the entire year, only parts of books. Oh,
1: that's the saddest thing.
0: Which is terrible. How do you get students hooked on reading and writing who, who might otherwise not be that interested?
1: You know, I think I've got um, two superhero powers as an English teacher, and, and they're stories and self expression. Human beings are built to love stories. And I have a classroom library that's packed with thousands of great books that kids want to read. And the expectation is that they will read in class every day, that they'll select books from this great classroom library, and then they'll take them home and read for a half an hour every night. That's the common homework at my school, K-8, to every kid, every year. And they love reading because they love the stories they're reading. And they get the volume of committed practice that you need to be a fluent, um, passionate reader um, because of that daily, daily, daily time to curl up with good books. Children in this country don't read enough books. It's, It's the saddest thing, and I know to some extent it's because, you know, there's not a big market for that you you can't make a lot of money from buying teachers buying individual books one at a time and reading them and loving them and put them putting them into a child's hands so the i think um the curriculum tends to be market driven what textbook publisher can get his foot in the door to sell you probably the big fat book that your son has been reading all year um, instead of developing the habits of book readers um, and, of course, that time on task adds up. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell in Outliers talks about the, the 10,000 hours of committed practice that somebody needs to become a real expert in something. And our kids get that practice. And they're um, enjoying it as much as they are engaged with it, as much as they are growing because of it. It's, you know, it's this wonderful little self-contained system where the more you read, the better you read, the more you want to read.
0: Well, you've uh, seen the love of reading, you say, transform some poor students into successful ones, including a young man named Mike. Can you tell us his story?
1: Mike came to our school from another state as an eighth grader and told me um, in a survey I'd given the kids the first week of school that he hadn't read a single book the previous year. And I said, how, how can this be? How can somebody go through a whole year and not read a book? And the answer, of course, was um, a pedagogy similar to the one that your son's enduring, where the class had a big, fat textbook, and he uh, either fake read with a video game uh, behind the propped-up book, or he listened to discussions, or he just outright cheated um, and got through the tests by copying other people's work and listening in on conversations, and the primary mode of getting kids into individual books at our school is a is a book talk. Essentially, it's just a an oral commercial for a book. And the first day of school, knowing that Mike was in that group, the handful of books I happened to book talk were all sports novels. Um, I remember there was a book by Carl Deutker called High Heat, and I just said, this is what's happening when the novel opens, and this is who the main character is, and this is his problem, and, and Mike wanted to find out what happens next. And so he practically ripped that book out of my hand. Um, he finished it in a week. He came back for more, and he came back for more, and he read 36 books as an eighth grader. Um, He also became more fluent. Um, His comprehension shot way up. He became part of a community of readers, other guys who read and also read books about sports, but then a lot of other books, too, and had conversations about them. So he had this rich, vicarious experience of books and stories and getting lost and ones he loved. And then he also had this social life that evolved around. um, That was the way that, that other guys were engaging with books, too. You know, anyone's achievement is driven by interest. And when Mike had something to read he was interested in, he took off.
0: You've just won this global award for teaching and you caused a bit of a controversy a few months back when you said you wouldn't encourage young people to go into the profession these days in part because of the common core state standards and the tests that go with them that have, as you said, turned teachers into technicians, not reflective practitioners. What do you mean by that?
1: Well, actually what I said was if I were a creative um, young person right now, I would have a hard time um, looking at the public school sector, and I probably would look at independent schools right now instead. I see. Um, I've been misquoted on that, and it's been very upsetting to me because hmm. um, I'm so deeply opposed to the Common Core and what it's done to public school teaching in this country. I think that a lot of experienced teachers who are in the classroom have tenure and they have ways to fight back against the ways that the Common Core Standards have changed their teaching and have changed it for the worse, um, really have, have, have gutted what should be happening in, in good English classrooms. And I don't think, I know, um, because I know so many of them, that young teachers can go into situations like this and, and have the confidence um, or even sort of the legal standing to fight against these mandated measures. So what I've seen are students, frankly, kids I taught who grew up and wanted to teach the way they'd been taught and went into, for example, Joel Klein's New York City or Michelle Ree's Washington, D.C., and they just got um, annihilated and ended up finding positions in, you know, Quaker schools or Montessori schools where they actually could focus on learning and focus on children and bring the research knowledge that they gleaned into their teaching. So I'm not discouraging anybody from being a teacher. I just think I would have a hard time right now as a first-year teacher in the current climate. I don't know if I'd make it. And I'm looking, you know, in terms of statistics nationally, at a five-year attrition rate of 40 to 50%. I mean, after five years more than or almost half of those new young teachers are out of there. That should be telling us something about um, what's happened to teachers' autonomy and professionalism under this set of standards.
0: And when you were young, uh, you yourself weren't necessarily thinking of going to college or becoming a teacher, as I understand it. Uh, Is that true? And what changed your mind or what happened?
1: Uh, No, I had a great social life in high school, um, but I don't think I had a, a positive relationship with a single one of my teachers. Um, but I uh, did well enough and, and also scored high enough on the, on the New York State Regents test. And my parents' income was low enough that it enabled me to have a, a full-ride scholarship to a state university. And no one in my family had gone to college except my older brother and my mother, uh, this good depression baby said here's a bargain um you know it's free try it for a year see if you like it and i went to the local um teachers college and i loved it i loved it it was nothing like high school and i became an english major because i'd always loved to read um outside of school And then um, I became an English teacher, and then I became a literacy and literary advocate because of the fire that burned for me um, in college as somebody who loves talking about writing, reading, poetry, books,
0: authors. Nancy Atwell, thank you so much.
1: You're welcome. It's been nice to chat.
0: Nancy Atwell runs the Center for Teaching and Learning in Edgecombe, Maine. She is the winner of the first-ever Global Teacher Prize, which is sponsored by the Varkey Foundation. You can find a link to Atwell's work at our website, AmericanRadioWorks.org. And while you're there, you can find more podcasts about issues in K-12 and higher education and browse our archive of more than 100 documentary projects. You can also let us know what you think of our coverage. That's AmericanRadioWorks.org. We are on Facebook at American.RadioWorks and we're on Twitter at AM RadioWorks. Support for American Radio Works comes from the Spencer Foundation, the William and Flora Hewlett Foundation, Lumina Foundation, and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. I'm Stephen Smith. Thanks for listening. This is APM, American Public Media.